Ladies and gentlemen, good evening. Hey, I'm John T. Rhodes, and you are listening to 365 Days of Sport. 365 Days of Sport. Take me home, John T. Rose, to the place where the rainbow grows. How thank brothers, Wazulu Natal. Take me home from the Aussie hell. It's in the air, and it's a brilliant catch by John D. Rose. Goodness me, that was an extraordinary catch. John D. and he's hit him. Magnificent piece of fielding. Wall have to be back quick, and he's not quick enough to beat John D. He's done it again. Two out of two. Umpire not interested in demand. Could be run out. And John D. Rhodes has demolished the stumps. And umpire Bucknor has given him out. The flying leap with Pike. Well, it was going to require some brilliant fielding or some brilliant work in the field and a better man you could not find than Jonty Rhodes. Jonty Rhodes knew there was a chance, decided not to throw other than himself. He gets there first and wipes everything out. Wonderfully caught by Jonty Rhodes. That's as good as you're going to see all season. What a catch. Full-blooded cut shot. Jonty Rhodes diving to his right, one-handed, spectacular. Gee, that's a good hit. That is a glorious stroke from Jonty Rhodes. It's gone about 12 seats back. Great shot. It certainly was a big hit. Jonty Rhodes has stepped up to the plate again. We've seen it all so often. He is just absolutely brilliant. That's unbelievable, Jonty Rhodes. Two-thirds of the earth is covered by water. The rest of it's covered by John D. Rhodes. <laughs> 52 tests, 245 one-dayers, 2,532 test runs, three test tons, 5,935 one-day international runs, two tons, 105 outfield catches, and not forgetting his three first-class wickets, including Scott Styris. <laughs> we welcome the Prince of the Point, and now Mr. Swedish Cricket, Mr. John T. Rhodes. Jonty, thank you so much for joining us. Absolutely brilliant. Wow, what an, what an intro. I mean, I cannot believe it. Why did I ever retire? <laughs> well, Jeez. a lot of people ask that same question, though, I think. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. No, I haven't worked out the answer yet. But I've ret- I think I've retired about three times from the game. I'm still in it, so it's just in different capacities. Yeah, well, the first question is, we have mentioned you're, ne- you're the new Mr. Sweden cricket. That is a massive yeah. change for a country that, well, let's it has no cricketing prowess whatsoever but you're a big name in the game and you've gone there to try and turn their fortunes around I mean that's a that's a massive move well I think the key for me is I'm not coming in as a consulting role so you know I'm, I'm not thinking well let me drag Swedish cricket up by its boot laces for the next two years and, and get out of there um, family has relocated and um, from a work point of view, it was either that or drive a taxi. And you've seen my cover driver ends up going to mid-wicket. So if I was a taxi driver, there'd be a lot of people hopping around Stockholm City, that's for sure. So it, it's more a case of getting in here and, and as a national, or the coach of the national team, 
There's not much cricket every year. I mean, we've got an ICC qualifier coming up in July. But other than that, you know, it was two years ago that I think the Swedish national team actually got together. And what we are trying to change, though, Vivi, is the fact that, you know, we, we, we're trying to create pathways. We're trying to make it a little bit more professional and, um, and not something that's just run by the club organizations. And, oh, there's a tournament. Let's choose a team. So lots of work to be done. But the growth of the game is taking place here in Sweden in a big way. I mean, we've got over 5,000 members um, from about 80-odd clubs. And uh, the biggest difficulty we have at this stage is that a lot of the clubs are just 12 mates who want to get together, as we do, and just want to play cricket on the weekend. So there's no junior program within the club. There's no ladies program within the club. And that's what we need to change in Sweden other than, you know, obviously make a few decent cricket players as well. Yeah, there's a, there's a bit of a history in Sweden with them playing uh, not just baseball, but uh, a sport called Brambleskupen. And to get kids and other players away from baseball into cricket for a sport, a lot of them, you know, 99% of the population have probably never seen. It's a mammoth task. I tell you what, we that bramble, whatever you're talking about, that sounds a bit like hurling I've seen in Ireland. It's a traditional warfare. Um, you know, it's, it's some real traditional weapons of mass destruction. I remember watching the, the guys in Ireland play in, in Dublin. But I think the key for us, though, is also to try and, and also focus our cricket selection on athletic ability. So that's a massive focus for us already because we don't want to turn away, you know, young Swedes who have never played the game or maybe seen it or have got friends who have played. And they come in and you start, okay, this is how you hold the bat and this is and getting too technical. We want to show soccer players, um, you know, handball players, various athletes, boys and girls that, man, you can you can just play. And, and, and if you are half decent from uh, an athletic point of view, you know, that's going to score you points in the right direction. The technical stuff we can get to later. But, you know, throwing and catching batting and bowling all that stuff if you've got a degree of sort of athletic coordination that part of it actually comes quite easy you know i've always seen as a fielding coach i can teach someone to catch a ball but i can't teach him to get to it and the getting to the ball is what we we're looking to excite you know or hitting the ball and throwing the ball excite the local population and get them you know, involved in cricket, even on a fun capacity. I mean, we've got to stress, I mean, you're not looking to take Sweden into test cricket, although that could be an end goal for you guys, but we are looking at T10 and T20 cricket really as a staple diet. So, you know, you don't have to have the greatest techniques or you don't need to be scared of the ball or anything else, but you can play really, really short-form cricket and make it fun. Yeah, and, and that is the key. I mean, we, there's obviously limited facilities in Sweden. So a lot of the facilities are shared with other sports during the summer, which is, you know, they're long days, not a long summer. So from a, a, a booking, the actual facility is quite difficult. So even getting a 50-over game in, they have a T40 competition, which is sort of the longest version they have here in Sweden. But a lot of the ICC, obviously, there's T20 qualifiers, but there's also 50-over qualifiers. So, you know, we've almost got to balance that with trying to get as many games in as possible, which T10 allows, and then making sure that from a skills perspective that there's enough T20 and then maybe even 50-over cricket skills in the players that we have. And, and especially the, the sort of the, the youngsters we now we're looking at selecting um, a national under 19 team because 2021 2022 there's um, there's, a, there's a qualifier 
So, you know, there's never really been a pathway for the under-19 teams before. So that, for us, is a massive focus because, you know, they're obviously going to be the future of Swedish cricket. And at this stage, most of the players that have played for Sweden are between the age of 35 and 40. So we're looking to change that slightly and, and redress that imbalance. Now, um, you guys at the minute uh, in 2020 rankings are 32-ish. Your massive rivals, Norway, are 29. Can you see someone yes. like Alan Donald or Herschel Gibbs trying to go into your footsteps so they can renew your the rivalry with you now? Are they going to move to Norway? Well, Dominic Tello is heading up cricket in Norway. He's a South African. He's um, someone who's, who's played a lot of cricket in Cape Town. I, I know fairly well. So, you know, there's, there certainly is from a, a Nordic perspective. It actually used to be the Nordic Challenge or Nordic Cup. And, and sadly, that's sort of fallen away. So, um, no, that there's a, it, it doesn't need Alan Donald to go there already or Herschel Gibson. That there's, there's enough rivalry. And, and in fact, cricket facilities in Norway are pretty good. COVID right now is just keeping everybody fairly isolated. And, um, you know, we were really trying to set together a uh, challenge before the qualifiers because Norway also has the same ICC qualifiers, but at a later date, not in our pool. So it would be great for us as neighbours to, to kind of work together. But we, we at, this, at this stage, just not able, with the COVID restrictions happening here, to even extend a, you know, an invitation to our neighbours to, to come and play a few warm-up games. So you're just basically inside eating pickled herring. Is that basically the plan at this point in time? Wow! <laughs> 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 yeah, no, we're going to go hunt a moose. <laughs> yeah, Cheese no, and bread for breakfast every morning. Ooh. I can't believe how outdoor active these Swedes are, man. I mean, they, everybody, no matter, you know, we, we went up in, we brought four kids with us from South Africa. So to, to excite the older boys who are 13 and 10, we said, no, no, we're going to go snowboarding in, in the sort of mid-country. And um, it got to minus 17. So for South Africans, that was a bit of a yeah. last three days was kind of stay indoors. But for 10 days, we snowboarded hard. But every five minutes, this couple would walk past us on their sort of cross-country skis, towing the sled, thinking, oh, they're going for a camping trip. But there's a, a baby in the sled, you know, <laughs> it's a couple of months old. They're rocking it to sleep in the sled. So Swedes are very active, very outdoor, no matter rain or snow. You know, I don't think anybody's sitting inside eating pickled yeah. fish. So we, that's, that's also the reason why we're looking to try and, and get some of the local population involved in the game because they, from a – you know, you talk about having Alan Donald um, coaching somebody else. We've got a couple of tough nuts in this country. If we can get them playing cricket, man, there's going to be a few teams that are scared of the Vikings' resurgence. <laughs> well, just a word of warning, John. If you've just had a shower, don't immediately walk outside with wet hair because it, it freezes in about two minutes, I can tell you from experience. Um, now... Yeah, no, listen, <laughs> we, we've got the beanies, full beanies. We've, we've certainly, we've learned the hard way. Okay. We, we don't go outside unless you bone dry, you're right. Now, well, John, just winding back the clock for a moment, obviously you heard the audio earlier yeah. of uh, the very famous run out of the 92 World Cup, the diving, uh, I think if you Google your name, it's the first image that pops up. Um, <laughs> yeah. But that moment, uh, for me, as a young man watching cricket, that's kind of a, a line in the sand of when fielding really was going to be taken seriously as a on a team level. Do you see that as kind of a line in the sand moment where the, the, uh, the lumbering fast bowler sticking the boot out on the boundary wasn't going to be tolerated anymore? <laughs> Well, it was interesting because you know, you're from then, from 1992. You know, I did a lot of coaching around the world only after my career, uh, which was 2003. I retired, and even then, 
there was still a lot of lumbering fast bowlers throwing the boots out. So it was quite interesting in, in that it took a long... In fact, it took T20 cricket for people to realize, you know, I mean, the, the, the bulk of the cricket market, if you wanted to call it such, is, is in the subcontinent of India, Pakistan. And um, I mean, Sri Lankans always had pretty good fielders, apart from Arjuna Ranatunga. They had some really lightweights in the field who, or could throw themselves around the field. But in India and Pakistan, it was only until T20. So I, I think 2007, you know, my first gig with Mumbai Indians at an IPL was 2009. And I just said to the guys, I only have one rule in the field, is that don't put out a boot. Because most of the fast bowlers were still putting out a boot. And, and the reason for me was that, you know, someone just spent, I don't know, one crore, whatever that is, whatever that translates into <laughs> to Kiwi. Um, you know, they don't want you to step on the ball and twist an ankle because if you blow that, it's six months out. So whatever you do, if you don't want to dive, don't dive. But just remember that if you're an angry fast bowler when you're bowling and your teammate on the boundary doesn't dive for you, just don't get cross if, if you're not going to sort of return the favor and, and throw yourself around the field. So, so yeah, it, it took, I think, until, until the IPL actually kicked off that teams actually realized that, hold on, you know, if there's a toss-up from a selection point of view, these two guys are fairly similar from a stats and numbers, but, man, this guy in the field costs us running away. This guy will maybe save us a few. So yeah. I think it took a long time. I think 92 people became aware that, hey, what is this fool doing? And <laughs> at that point, <laughs> the 2000, it was, still, it was still 15, sort of 20 years probably, mm-hmm. before it became a real integral part, the third element of the game. Yeah. I, I actually remember um, you guys were playing a test series in England and obviously one of the days it rained and you ended up doing a kind of a fielding masterclass. On, uh, I think yeah. it was on, on it was probably on Lords, and that was the no. F- they wouldn't let you on at Lords. They <laughs> yeah, really true. wouldn't let you on at Lords. <laughs> but there was there was the, like the first was, yeah. time somebody had ever shown a coaching drill or somebody taking fielding. Let's let's be honest, taking fielding seriously on technique, how to dive, how to slide, how to stop the ball from hitting the boundary, and you know, for about half an hour, forty minutes, it was you teaching the English. And I grew up in the professional cricket system over there. And nobody had ever seen a fielding drill done with intensity, with intent, and technique. It was like it was the kind of the first time it had happened. Yeah, and it, and that's interesting. I mean, you spoke about you know me me bursting onto the scene, literally launching my career at that '92 World Cup, and that was in 2003. I mean, I was I was playing one season of county cricket for uh, for Gloucester, Gloucester yeah. and and actually yeah, Mark Mark Nicholas and and Michael Atherton did a, a master class because I think they were doing you know the Aussies might have been out, they might have been in the Ashes series on, and Warney had done a leg spin master class. I don't know why they invited him and what did he know about <laughs> leg spin. Um, but yeah, and, and I said okay, let's do a fielding because no one, as you said, no one ever done a fielding masterclass and, and it was actually at the end of the it was one of the the 20 over one of the first T20 over seasons and you know usually you'd have 50 people watching a you know county game and they had 5,000 Bristol was sold out and they brought it onto the ground so it was actually quite interesting but it was and that's 2003 so it wasn't that long ago when people were going oh wow this is what he does and oh wow this is why he does it you know it, had, it hasn't been it wasn't a rapid rise of fielding awareness other than like I said <laughs> this guy's doing something crazy at Good point. Um, okay, let's study what he's doing and let's try and do it ourselves. When you were growing up playing junior cricket and everything else, did you just naturally gravitate to backward point? Because even you know, like I said, I played professional cricket for a long time, and it was wasn't necessarily your best fielder went to backward point. I think your role at backward point just brought a focus to that area where a lot of runs scored, but also a lot of runs could be saved, and also obviously catches catches win matches as we say yeah yeah i think i think from our perspective the south african bowling lineup we didn't have a lot of spin bowlers in our setup 
you know. So our bowling plan, we were fairly disciplined. We were kind of target the top of fourth stump. And um, in, in 50 over cricket, at, you know, then it, there wasn't any power plays and no one was going over the top. Guys were kind of running it around, drop and run, hitting down a third man. And backward point was a busy zone because we weren't bowling straight. You know, subcontinent, you bowl, your lines are slightly tighter and, you, and you, you know, don't go wider or off stump. You know, and then maybe I'd go to the leg side if we were bowling straighter. But generally, we had a fairly disciplined bowling attack and our plan was to bowl top of fourth stump and backward point was the place to be because that's where all the action was. Yeah. So as a schoolboy cricketer, I was kind of in the covers because um, the bowlers were bowling all over the place <laughs> and I could just run everywhere, yeah. you know, from offside to leg side. And uh, I think that World Cup in 1992, because of the bowling plan, that dictated more than anything where I needed to field. So spin bowlers, I would then be either the left arm spinner, I would be short cover or if Pat Simcox was bowling, you know, and in the mid-wicket region trying to save singles for him in yeah. that area. Talking of Pat Simcox, I want to take you back to Moratua. I think I don't know if it was your test yeah. debut. It was yeah. definitely uh, no. your first hundred. First hundred. Yes. I'm looking at the scorecard here. Obviously, John D. Rhodes not out 101 off 107 balls. And then I go down, but 262 minutes for 107 balls. Five hours for 100 balls. I'll get me, I want to get my money back. Get your match fees. <laughs> no, it was, it was, you know, it was kind of the last day of the test. Um, we were in a lot of trouble. Pat Simcox batted for a while. Clive Eckstein, I think, yes. almost batted an hour for, for two hour, runs. Hour and a half, so, he batted. Four really? runs oh, off 89 balls. Oh, man. That yeah. was really boring. Um, <laughs> it's probably why I survived the other end. So, but yeah, it was, you know, fortunately, uh, Murali was at the start of his career, so he wasn't tormenting us. Um, there, were, there were a couple of, and, and you know, surprisingly, it was actually it was, a, it was a good day five wicket. It wasn't uh, from a Sri Lankan perspective or subcontinent, which us South Africans were were not very comfortable on turning wickets. Um, but yeah, big Paddy Simcox, he, he batted a while. And, you know, it was also the days before DRS, and he's got a long stride, Pat Simcox. <laughs> and he just blocked, you know, with a long stride. He just put his big pad in the way, and nothing was, was really going past. So, What's he up to these days, um, Pat Simcox? Paddy, he's, uh, he's actually... He's got a, a real estate business in you know, about an hour, hour and a half drive south of Durban. And I keep seeing his social media posts. You know, he's got a great view of the ocean. He loves to fish. He plays a lot of golf. And, uh, you Does know, he use he's, lots he's of clever kind of puns of like, uh, I'll spin you a hot deal or something like that? <laughs> nah. <laughs> no, Simo was way more blatant in your face. He was nothing creative about it. But, you know, he couldn't turn a ball. I remember he always, always used to say, Joe, you just have to turn one. And then they keep thinking, is this going to be the one? You don't have to turn them too often. So, yeah, yeah, quite a a real character. He and Fanny de Villiers were were quite a duo on tour. Oh, the six-foot Fanny. Yeah, Yeah, six-foot Fanny. Yeah. Yes. No, interesting guys. I must say, it was a a fantastic generation to be, you know, it was exciting, obviously, from South Africa's point of view, where after 27 years of of sporting isolation, we were invited back, and not yet even a democracy in 1992. Mm -hmm. So we only became a democratic country in Forward, democratically elected president. So we had, you know, really interesting times, but just an incredible opportunity that most of the players who, in my generation, at the start of my career, hadn't even expected to play. You know, guys like Kepler had gone to Australia mm-hmm. to play for Australia. Mm-hmm. A couple of guys had gone to the UK to play for England. But nobody expected a national team coming out of South Africa like mm-hmm. it did. Did, did you ever get to meet Nelson Mandela or speak to him at any, any great length? Yeah, not at great length, but mm-hmm. on about three occasions. You know, obviously, from a cricketing point of view, the World Cup in 2003 was quite a big spectacle. And we, he came to meet the team before the tournament kicked off. 
Um, and then Kurt Wanderers, when he was first elected, we had a, in fact, before, so before he was elected, I think Australia were touring in 93 mm-hmm. um, at the Wanderers in Johannesburg. Mandela came to meet the two teams. So, so yeah, an incredible, and everyone spoke about this amazing persona, and that's exactly what it was. I mean, mm-hmm. he was just an incredible man, and it just oozed everywhere from him. Now, Johnny, obviously growing up, you played a lot of sports, I believe. You're a top soccer player, loved rugby union, obviously excelled at hockey in the end. Is it true you got diagnosed with epilepsy and had to give up the contact sports and ended up focusing more on hockey and cricket? Yeah, from from an early age. I mean, at you know, so six or seven. So my dad was a rugby player. He was a teacher, and as a teacher in South Africa in the eighties, you also, you know, in the nineties, you were you also a sports master. So he he grew up playing rugby, um, doing athletics, and um, you know, I, I had. An older brother was more into sort of sailing and paddling, um, canoeing. But my younger brother and I, we played every single sport. And, and because my dad was a sports coach, we either had the choice of, you know, stay at the school waiting for dad to take us home and do homework or stay at the school and play sports. So it wasn't really an option for us um, boys who were trying to avoid doing as much homework as possible. And we were. We, you know, I do a lot of work in India where you see kids who just play cricket and it's crazy because they spend hours in the nest but have no lateral movement the body just doesn't know how to move anything other than in a linear straight line and because I don't play football I don't play badminton we got that opportunity I just could not play rugby because of obviously the contact um, and then even soccer I had to stop at 14 because I was very vertically challenged still not the tallest guy around and the, the big defenders were just you know killing me in the air knocking me out quite frequently so my parents asked me my mother especially please John T don't play soccer anymore <laughs> um, just found out have, have you come across John T Sidhu yet in the Indian under 19s yeah. team <laughs> no I haven't come across him but yes I have been introduced you know guys on um, say, oh, look at John T Sidhu so, so yes apparently his dad was a massive fan of yours and uh, obviously that's grown into naming his firstborn after the one of the best fielders of cricket ever seen mm. yeah it's crazy I've got, there's, a, there's a young kid in Australia as well northern Queensland maybe it's just there's too much fun I don't know. That's crazy. But yeah, you know, it used to be goldfish, a couple of goldfish, a lot of Jack Russell terriers. Because yes. I just, ah, yeah. oh, this dog, dog of mine is crazy after the ball. So a lot of jaunty terriers, but yeah. So the, the occasional. Occasional child popping up um, on the continent. Johnny, just going back to your, your test statistics for a moment, just before we get, get towards the end, I think. Um, most of the numbers there for uh, the bowling will sort of say uh, number of innings bowled or number of wickets, etc. Like there's some quite big numbers, but in your case, it just says number of balls bowled. Yes. And it's a, it's, a, it's a 12. So my question is, do you remember every single delivery of your test bowling career? Well, it, it, it kind of spanned over two different test matches right. over you know, a three-year, I think a three-year period. <laughs> but let me, let me leave you with, with, with a question to answer your question. Do, well, maybe it's too obvious. The last person to bowl a, a test delivery to Alan Border, the great Alan Border, was? Oh, oh really? really? Well done. John C. Rose. <laughs> yeah. It was a maiden over. And I think that's probably why he retired. He thought, if I can't score one of this fool, I better retire. <laughs> But it was, a, it was a Durban, a Durban <laughs> test match, and the game was a draw, and it was the last kind of just before the umpire called it. So I kept the vessel through it to me. Uh, maybe hoping I'd get Alan Border out, and, and then he could just have kind of bragging rights. Yeah, yeah. John, oh, yeah. if I was you, uh, I would have I would have said back yeah. to me how many test delivery, how many test balls have you bowled? <laughs> nah, no, no, listen, I'm, I'm very very aware of my of my bowling capabilities or lack thereof. So there's nothing to hide from. It's right there. It's in the stats. <laughs> um, going back to uh, your what I could find as your last game, you actually got 53 not out in the road safety series. 
I mean, it was yeah. 12 months ago but, and it got wiped out through COVID, but uh, that was against a West yeah. Indian Legends team. Well, I, I suppose if I'd done that in Sweden, it would have snowed in the summer. So, yes, that's probably why we had a global pandemic, because <laughs> Chonky Rhodes actually carried his bat through and got a 50 not out instead of a, a quick 30 and got out and, you know, sort of mm. let the team down. So are we actually heading back to India next week? I was going to say, I think that series... with the road safety. Yeah, the series kicks yep. off again in a, in a couple of weeks' time. So hopefully you'll get yep. through the whole thing. But that, there's some big names playing in that tournament, including yourself, obviously. Well, the Indian side, I mean, they've, they've certainly got Tendulkar played his first game since he had retired so you know it's actually quite interesting because uh, before COVID the the spectators were jam-packed I think they had about 30,000 spectators for the for the Indian Sri Lanka game and then South Africa versus the mighty West Indies I think there were five people in the stadium <laughs> and they were security so yeah <laughs> a bit of a bummer for the rest of us yeah. but, but yes it, it is what it is in India for sure <laughs> oh, no. well it's good that you can extend your career a little bit and uh, you know give a little bit back as well by playing these legends things because I think the glory days of the 90s of people just longing to see those names play again because uh, I mean let's face it cricket was pretty huge in the 90s there's a lot of big names kicking around yeah uh, well you know I think we, we played a series in in the states and all stars with Shane Warne yes. and Sachin who who had different teams but you know we had a couple of real or fast bowlers who it's quite difficult if you're a fast bowler because you're kind of renowned for pinging the ball through to the keeper so a couple of 50 year olds were yeah. suffering the next day trying to bowl fast. And I think as long as there's a decent contest and it's not just, oh, okay, roll out the names, entertainment doesn't have to be classic cricket. I mean, entertainment can still be something where you've, you feel like you got your money's worth. And, and hopefully that was what was achieved. Yep. So, yeah, looking forward to doing it again because there are some big names, some real characters of the game. And I think that's what... It's not lacking. I mean, there certainly are some great players around these days, but because it's become fairly professional yeah. and a 12-month gig of the year, um, you know, a lot of the guys are are really professional in their approach, whereas before, I think most of us in the 90s were playing just because we loved the game. <laughs> exactly right. All right, so what is the time frame now with Sweden? When are the qualifying games for you coming up? In May, did you say? Uh, yes, yeah, so, so we've got at the end of June. So 30th of June, we report to Finland, and uh, you know, we take on a couple of uh, Greece and Germany and Guernsey, mm. and a couple of the big names of European cricket. Actually, I just dug out a bit of a report about Greece. Um, Marty Kane from New Zealand is going to be uh, looking after the uh, Greek team, apparently, so so uh, there's an ex-first-class cricketer uh, that's uh, looking after the Greek team, the ex-Kiwi international there, Marty Kane. So it uh, could be interesting. Oh, fantastic. That's good. Yeah, so who's, who's in your group, Finland and Greece, do we do we establish? Yes, uh, Guernsey, Germany, um, and a couple of others. I'll have oh. to get back to you on that one. Oh, well, what I was angling at is we'll, we'll check in yeah. with you again around in June time, see how the uh, boys are shaping up and uh, get some yeah, updates from that tournament. Awesome. Hopefully that uh, you'll have a couple of months with them to uh, get them saving runs, yeah. catching catches. Don't worry about the other two things. For sure. No, I don't worry about the other stuff. I can't do it anyway. So. <laughs> it's not the bowling. Oh, don't say that to Scott Styris. No, no. <laughs> no, I won't speak. Mum's the word. Definitely. Guys, thank you for having me. Oh, man. mate. Absolute Amazing. pleasure. Absolute. Appreciate it. We do honestly wish cool. you the best of luck in Sweden because if thank you. people need to give a little bit back to these emerging nations it's a it's a fantastic move it's ballsy on your behalf as well and to move the family over to uh, somewhere that's a different planet in minus 20 degrees and uh, getting outdoors and playing cricket it's awesome it's great to see and we love you for it and we love you for uh, coming on the show and uh, just sharing a bit of love thank you fellas do appreciate it and i feel it so thank you, <laughs> thank you. no problem at all what up same old same old you Fifty Shades of Greys. Nice. <laughs> hey, did you hear the news about Bridget? 
She's making her way around Australia. For reals? Yeah, she's everywhere. Barbecues, footy, even camping. Well, sounds like she's flat out. Yeah. Oh, I'd love to go to Australia. One day, bro. One day. Premium New Zealand beef. Jack Leagues. Beef up your snack life. Southern FM sponsor.